Well, if you would, grab your Bibles. We are uh, going to be all over the place, and I might give you a couple spots to look, but we, uh, we started last week with an introduction to Rooted. Rooted is a discipleship journey that we're on as a church. Um, we've mentioned that everyone by now should have their books. If you signed up, your books are in, are in the lobby, if not already in your hands. If you did not sign up, you still can sign up. Um, we sent out an email that has a link so last week's readings, you could go online and read them. This week's readings, you can go online and read them. But after that, you won't be able to find any more. You're going to need the book. And the books will not be found on Amazon, just to give you that heads up. I tried to search that way. There's no uh, books on Amazon. You've got to go directly through the website of the people who put out this program. Um, this morning, uh, just a reminder, um, as you go through, like tomorrow, you're in chapter 2. There's a daily reading for the next five days. It's great that you do that, okay? But what's more important is that you share with somebody else in your house, a small group. If you don't have a small group, you can create a small group. Or just a group of people say, hey, you want to get together and just talk about maybe something we read this week or call them up, text them, whatever it may be. But it's that sharing, I believe, is what's really going to pull this together and help enhance the discipleship process that we're going through as a church. Also along with uh, the, the rooted part, um, I just want you to understand that today is more so basic Christianity 101. Because as we start this discipleship program, we need to understand what it means to have a solid foundation. If a lot of you that are in here, or some of you in there that are farmers or you're gardeners, you know you get the seed, you've got to have the right soil to plant that seed. If it's sandy or if the ground is hard to clay and you try to plant, you're not going to have good growth. But if you have that rich, deep soil and you plant, you know then that you're, it's going to take root and actually grow, and you have a sure foundation. That's what it, the same way with our faith. Your faith, my faith, is only good as our foundation. And today's message is basically that. What is our foundation? So that you understand, so as we continue forward on this journey, we're starting off on the right foot, the right foundation, strong and solid. And it begins with this, understanding that our foundation is the gospel. It's based on the good news. And you're like, well, what's the gospel? What's, what's the good news? Let me, let me explain it in the next 25 minutes or so, okay? A few Sundays ago, we were outside. We had our outdoor service. It was beautiful. We spent time examining the scriptures, discovering more about God. And if you remember, we asked the question, who is God? Because if you're going to pray to God, you better know who you're praying to. And we, we sort of answered that question, but we, we asked a few other questions like, why study God? And I basically said this, how we define God, how we view God, will ultimately challenge or ultimately set how we worship God and how we respond to God. We all know this. We're limited in our knowledge of God. We only know so much. We, we know that God is, is incredible, right? He's so capable of so much. We don't fully understand his attributes, his powers, and his behaviors. We don't understand his thoughts. We don't fully know. So we pick up the one book we, we do have in front of us, the Bible, and we read and we discover to see who is this God that we worship. And through the work of his Holy Spirit and his written words, we start to understand more about God. And all those other great books out there on your bookshelves, I got a lot of bookshelves, a lot of books. Some of you are in Bible studies. All those other books, those are just explanations or maybe somebody's interpretation of who God is. But here's the thing. You want to know who God really is? 
you go to the source, right? God's given us three ways to know him better. The first of which, which we talked about, we said is creation. Creation, uh, we read in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. It's up on the screen. It says this, They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Now look at this next sentence. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Hey, church, listen, look around. Next time you're outside, look around. And I'm going to tell you right now, we have no excuse for not knowing God. No excuse whatsoever. Through everything that God has made, we can clearly see his invisible qualities his eternal power, and his divine nature. And here's the thing. God didn't stop there. He's like, if you just look around, you can see who I am. But let me help you out with a little bit more. How about this? How about I become flesh, Jesus Christ, and appear to you and explain to you more about who I am? We read in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 14 and verse 18, it says this, so the word, that's God, became human, became flesh, made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Verse 18 goes on to say, No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Jesus reveals God to us. Philip was a little confused by this. He asked Jesus about it. And Jesus told him in chapter 14 of the book of John, he said this, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. He's like, show me God. Jesus replied, have I been with you here all this time, Philip? Yet you still don't know who I am? Look what Jesus says next. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you see Jesus, you see God. If you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, you read about Jesus, you're going to see God. This is who God is. Finally, if you want to know more about God, besides obviously creation and Jesus Christ, we have this, his written word. You pick up the Bible, it's like picking up somebody's diary or journal, but it's that of God himself. It is penned across every page. God reveals himself in mankind. When we read through the Bible, we discover that God is our shield. He is our refuge. He is king. He is wise. His ways are perfect. He is our hope. He is our savior. He is our strength. He is our ever-present help. He is our God forever and ever and our guide until the day we die. He is my helper. He is divine. He is judge, a devourer of evil. He is holy. He is awesome. How do I know that? Because I read about it in God's word. And as you open up God's word, I love what Psalm 89 says. Psalm 89, 7 says this, the highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround his throne. Did you read that? He goes on to say in 18.2, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He's my shield, the power that saves me. My place of safety. It's like the psalmist could not say enough. It's like I got more and I got more. Who can be compared to our God Almighty who sits enthroned on high? 
Who do you compare them to? To deny that there is a God or to say that there, I don't know if they're really, you know, I really can't know God. I'm going to tell you right now that is foolishness. In the book of Psalm chapter 14, one David says, only fools say in their hearts that there is no God. They are corrupt, their actions are evil, and none, not one of them does good. If you were to sit here this morning and say, there is no God, I cannot know God, I would look you in the eyes and I would say, you are foolish or you are stubborn or you're full of pride because there is a God. And whether you want to say that or not does not make it true. What makes it true is the true one who has claimed it. And we base our beliefs on this, that there is a God and we're invited to know God which is even more amazing. The one enthroned on high says, I want to know you. Through creation, through Jesus Christ, through the word of God, we will never fully understand, but that must not hinder our pursuit of him. And I know this, the more and more I pursue him, the less and less I feel intelligent about him. It's like, I didn't know that about him. The more I, the more I learn the dumber I feel sometimes, and all this too, the more in awe of him I feel. Picture, if you will, a dry erase board up here with all those names of God on there. Do me a favor, just, just wipe that dry erase board clean, would you? Everything you know about God, just, just wipe it clean and then do this with me over the next, however long you want to do this, the next week, two weeks, year, the lifetime. Do this. Commit every morning you wake up to knowing God first. Set your alarm for five minutes earlier than what you normally get up. Okay, just five minutes earlier. Let me ask this. Is God worth five minutes of your time? He gave you eternity. Do you think you can give him five minutes? If you can, get up five minutes earlier. Just find a psalm. Have it ready to roll. Read it. Meditate on it. Pray over it. Move on. With that dry erase board with nothing on there, when you wake up in the morning, put something up there that you learned about God. Give him just, just five minutes. Pursue him. Consider something as, as simple as this. God is eternal. Did you ever think about that? Before you and I, there was God. Before my parents, before my grandparents, before my great-grandparents, there was God. Before your family tree ever took root, there was God. Before the disciples, before the prophets, before Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, there was God. Before Adam and Eve, there was God. He is eternal. Before Buddha, before Muhammad, before Gandhi, before Joseph Smith, or any false prophet or religious leader, there was God. Before you could process a thought, imagine anything about God, there was God. He is eternal. He is before all things, above all things. He is eternal. Now, understand this. This eternal, holy, majestic God says, I love you. Me? In your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there, would you please? I love how he starts off at the very beginning of the outset. It's like, in the beginning there was God. Just stop there. That's our eternal God. In the beginning, there, God's right there, right? But then it goes on to tell us about this God, this amazing God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we read, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea 
and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. It's like he keeps repeating himself. God created male, God created female. God created them in his image. In his image, he created them. He created mankind. It's really simple. At the very beginning, this is what it says. We bear the image of God. We are his masterpieces. When you look in the mirror, you bear the image of God. Let that sink in. You are not God. I am not God. But we bear his image. Psalm 8, 4 to 6 says this. What are mere mortals? That you should think about them. Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them, you made, if you want to personalize, you made us a little lower than God and created and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. So God creates us in his image. He gives us responsibility. He gives us purpose. And then look, what he, we learn more about this. Psalm 139, 13 and 18, I'll put up on the screen. This is even more so about you, Okay. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is a psalmist right now, just reflecting how awesome God is. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You searched me when I was being formed in utter seclusion, and I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. Did you read that last sentence? I can't even count the, the precious thoughts you have about me, God. They, they outnumber the grains of sand. So help me out. Let's start counting. How many have you seen there? One, two, three. This could, this could take forever, right? It's like, Okay, so right there in that hand, just consider those are all the precious thoughts that God has about you. Oh, wait, he didn't say in a hand. Now start adding up the grains of sand. Oh, well, let's add in all the deserts, all the beaches. Basically, what this psalmist is getting is that God has these incredible thoughts about you. Okay, remember, he's God, we're not. But he says, I love you. I've got all these precious thoughts about you. You beat yourself up every day. You stand in the mirror. You compare yourself to others. You don't think you're any good. You think you're guilty of this and you're bad for that. And God says, I love you. I've adopted you. You're my child. You see this undefinable, all-powerful, eternal God loves you. Creates you to be in a relationship with him, to worship him, to love him. And to deny his presence and power is foolish. But that's what we do. So here's the thing. We've got some good news. We've got some bad news. Uh, we were just talking about this on the way in. Good news is there's a lot of people here at church today. Bad news is we ran out of bulletins, right? Okay, that happens. Good news is God loves us. But the bad news is, what is it? Go back to Genesis chapter 3. If you're in Genesis 1, just, just a couple flips of the pages. Genesis chapter 3. The bad news is that something separates us from this God that loves us. We call it sin. We read here, Genesis chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? 
Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4 goes on to say, You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it too. And at the moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover up themselves. See, the temptation, as we learn about sin entering the world right here, comes in verse 5. The temptation comes from the devil. And it was to be like God. I don't know if you saw that. I mean, why would Eve hunger for wisdom, knowing both good and evil? Why would she want that? She's in a perfect relationship with the one who has all the ultimate wisdom and knowledge. She's in a perfect relationship with the God of all wisdom. But yet, she's like, I can have that. Why wasn't God's wisdom good enough for her? It seemed that Eve maybe wanted God's position. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. See, that's what sin is. Sin is living for ourselves, wanting to be something that we're not, wanting something that doesn't belong to us. Because of sin, we want our own way. We want our own rules. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. Sin is turning us into glory thieves, causing us to want what doesn't belong to us. All glory goes to God, but who wants the glory? We do. Did you see what I did? Did you see what I accomplished? Hey, everybody, guess what I did? Why do you have to tell everybody that? Well, because I want everybody to know what I did. You want the glory? Well, it feels good, right? Whose glory belong to ultimately? To God. And whenever we take the glory, we steal it from the one who it belongs to. And that's part of sin. That's part of our nature. That's sinful nature. And it was in this moment, mankind chose to be like God. Sin entered the world through the first man, Adam. And it's sort of like DNA in our human bodies. Sin is there, and it just infiltrates us. And we have to start asking more about this question. So, so what is sin, then? The average person today has little awareness of what sin is. And I, I say that because my generation, and if you grew up in a church, you knew what sin was. It's spelled out in the Bible. But today, sin is a word we don't use. We don't want to talk about your negative things that go on in your life. We cover it up. Pastor Paul Tripp, take a look on the screen, said this. This comes out of his book. And if I try to say, uh, quote it all, read it, I might struggle. So read along with me if you want. Sin is no longer a category in people's minds or in our culture. Sin is not viewed as a tool that explains people's motivation, their behavior. The concept of sin is, is not taught in philosophy or psychology classes at your local university. Sin is not a category that shapes our view of law enforcement. The truth of human sinfulness doesn't shape the way most people think about racial injustice, totalitarianism, or abuse. The doctrine of sin isn't typically used to help counselors understand the difficulty of marriage is imperating. Sin isn't understood by the force behind a pornographization of popular media. Few people think that corruption of politics, government, has anything to do with sin. When sin is a category you've left behind, you have to explain human tragedies in some other way. 
And if you do not believe in the tragedy of sin, then you'll think that humans have the power to fix humans. Basically, what we're saying is we've, we've taken sin out of the picture and we're saying these are all the other things that, that cause all of our problems today. So when we're looking at all of the problems that we're facing, we look for other solutions. We today have said, well, our solutions are found in, in education or in government or in programs. Our solution is found in medicine or philosophy. All things which are good, but listen, those don't take care of spiritual darkness and deception. Sin is a spiritual sickness. Humans cannot take care of that human sickness. Only a spiritual divine answer can, can answer that and take care of that. No one can help free us from the sin and its destruction except for the grace of God. It's like being in the middle of the ocean. Your ship goes down. You're the only one on board. There's no life preservers. There's no life jackets. You are dog paddling. You are treading water in the middle of the ocean trying to stay afloat. And the waves are getting bigger. And again, miles and miles and miles away is, is help. You, you don't even see it. And you can only be for so long. But you, you know, all your self-willpower, it's like, ah, I'm not giving up. But eventually, you won't be able to do it. You need somebody to come along and toss you a life preserver, toss you a line, pull you into safety. That's what's going on with sin. Sin is an ocean that we are all sinking in and only a Savior can rescue us. We cannot save ourselves out of our sinful moments. Sin is rebellion against God. It's snubbing our noses at our Creator. It's telling the one who knows us inside and out that we don't need him. Another word for sin is transgression. Transgression is basically this. It's basically this. To knowingly and willingly cross boundaries that an authority has set up. I pull into a parking lot. I see the no parking sign. But it's the closest one to the building. I really don't want to walk. I already worked out today on a treadmill. Why would I want to walk an extra, you know, 100 feet? So I'm going to park right in that because it says no parking, but I'm going to park there. I've just transgressed. I've willingly and knowingly went against the authority that's right in front of me. That's transgression. Sin is rejecting what God has given us. It's that target that we aim for and we miss. Romans 3, 23 says all of sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That target falls short. Sin creates distance between us and God as well. That's probably the scariest thing. It separates us from God. You know what else it does? When we're separated from God because of sin, it also separates us from the people we love around us. It destroys relationships. We live in this broken world. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says this, all of us like sheep, we have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. We make our own choices. Nobody makes you choose to walk away from God. It's your own choice. Every Thursday, we have the food pantry here at the church. And uh, every Thursday, we, we open up the shelves and people come through. And I, I'm telling you, they're as close right here from Andrew and I. Like, there's a shelf. There's a person talking to. Here's my shelf. They can sort of see what's on the shelf. But even though they can sort of see what's on the shelf, they can. They still ask questions like, what's that? How much sugar is in that? You know, can I, you know, I can't read. Can I see the label? Yep, there you go. All right. All right. Do you want some of this? What, what would you like to choose? And, and even though we explain it to them, sometimes they still make a crazy choice, right? It's like, well, I can't have any sugar. What would you like? I like the double fruity pebbles. 
you, you can't do sugar. No, that's for the grandkids. Okay, grandkids, sure. Um, I had one uh, person this, just recently, we have a uh, special K cereal up on the shelf. And uh, they pointed, can I have the Circle K? And I'm going, Circle Special K, yep, right here you go. It's like, even though we explain things to them, sometimes we don't see it correctly. God has given us a choice. He gives us a choice. Just like up there, you can choose grape jelly, you can choose uh, pear cinnamon spread, peanut butter, ketchup, peanut butter. Pick whichever one you want, but you only get one choice. You get one choice. Hey, we got heaven or hell. Which choice are you making, right? And even though I explain fully the difference between heaven and hell and God's love and this, the hatred of our evil one that wants to separate us from God, some of us still pick the wrong thing. Like, yeah, I'll go with circle K. That's not on the list, right? What, what are you choosing? Why, why don't you choose what's healthy? Why don't you choose what is right? Every choice we make has a consequence, right? And God leaves the choice to us. Let me hear you say good news. Yeah, there's good news, and the good news is that God says, I'm giving you a choice. Sin is a problem, but my son Jesus Christ is the solution. And we read through the New Testament, the Old Testament, all this sacrificial stuff that went on, and it got to the New Testament, and God's like, I'm going to make this easy. There's only one Lamb of God. He'll be the final sacrifice. You place your faith in him. If you imagine a little boy going out to the barn, and he takes care of the animals, the horse, the sheep, the goats, and he's taking care of all the animals and he, he befriends them over the years. He talks to the animals and they become like close friends to him. And, and he loves those animals and takes care of them. And one night he goes up to his room and goes to bed and his mom and dad had to run off to go do something. So he's by himself. He wakes up and he looks outside and he sees that the barn is on fire. And the little boy panics. He's like, mom and dad aren't here. What should I do? So he runs out to the barn. He opens up the doors. He opens up the pens. The animals says, get out, get out, save yourself. But the animals, are, they don't know. And they're just there. They, and they, just, they won't leave their pens. Like, if only you would listen to me. If only I could communicate like a sheep, like a horse, like a goat. If I could talk animal talk and get you to, to come out, you'd be safe. You'd be safe. You'd escape the fire. But because they didn't understand, they stayed, right? That's what Jesus did. God's like, people, I love you. I created you. I gave you purpose. And I know sin right now is tearing you up, but there is eternal destruction. It's called hell. It is fire. And I'm telling you right now, you need to make a choice to get out, to trust in my, to trust me, trust me on this. You know what? You're not listening to me. So I will send myself in the flesh. I'll become Jesus Christ. I'll come down and I will speak your language and I will tell you how you can be saved from eternal destruction. And that's what Jesus did. The question is, Will we believe? Will we listen? That's the good news. The good news is that we have a God who loves us and wants to save us. Romans uh, 5, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith and we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege, which is where we now stand. And we confidently and we joyfully look forward to the sharing of God's glory. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're in a new family, you're in a new position. You're equipped and empowered to live for God. That's the good news. The foundation of our faith. We are rooted in these truths. And that is this. God loves you. He created you, this all-powerful God. And sin separates you. But Jesus Christ reconciles that relationship. And when you believe that and you place your faith in him, he saves you and he empowers you with his Holy Spirit. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ lives in me. This, our union with, with Christ animates us, ignites new thoughts, new choices, new desires, actions that are ours. That those belong to Jesus Christ. We don't reform ourselves. We are transformed by the Holy Spirit. Empowered to do those things we can never do before. Now, in the front of your notebooks, worship team, you can come on up. In the front of your notebooks, chapter two, that you start tomorrow, when you look, you're going to see on that very, it's going to say God. And then there's going to be a verse there. I'll put that verse on the screen. It's Romans 8, 1 and 2. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says this. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. See, once you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, once you ask God for forgiveness, he removes those sins. You're condemned no more. I mean, let's, let's face it. When we get in trouble, you're condemned. You're in, you're in trouble for this, right? But through the forgiveness, there's no condemnation now. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Church, you are free from sin. If you've placed your faith in him, you're free from sin. You are free to live that life that God's called you to live. That's your memory verse. You're like, what? Memory verse? Are we going to be checking this every week? Are we going to be marking off a box? Do we have to recite this to somebody? Yes, when you walk in the door, the, the security, we're going to have a new security. There's the memory verse security. They'll be outside the security. And you're going to walk up to them, Romans 8, 1 and 2. So now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No, we're not going to do that, okay? I'm just going to encourage you to memorize it. If you think I can't, I'm going to tell you right now, you can. You memorize uh, lines to movies. You memorize lyrics to songs. Like, no, I don't. You play it too, and you start singing. You know the lyrics. We can memorize these things. We memorize phone numbers. We memorize information about people. I know people know stats about stats about stats of sports. It's like, that's ridiculous. How do you remember all that, right? We can remember Scripture. Nobody's going to hold you accountable to this. I'm just going to encourage you to do it. I'm going to do it. If you want to hold me accountable, ask me. I will recite it next week for you, okay? But I know this, thy word have I hid in my heart so that I will not sin against you. We, we memorize God's word for purpose. It's worth memorizing. Our foundation for being firmly rooted in the gospel is the good news. And this morning, you heard the good news. I encourage you to remember God loves you. Sin separates you. Jesus Christ died for you. Will you place your faith in him? Will you surrender to him? Would you stand, please? After this morning, you, you hear this sermon, one of two things should be happening right now in your heart. You should be doing one of two things. Either you're praising God that you have new life in Christ, or you're on your knees confessing that you need Jesus Christ. It's one of those two things. I hope you're praising him. And if you don't know him, I'll be around after church. I'll hang out as long as you need. If you need to have a conversation about knowing him, I'd be more than glad to talk and share more about my Jesus with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, thank you for, for who you are, that you are God, you're above all things, that you, despite your position, you love us and you created us to, to worship you. Forgive us, God, of our sins that have separated us from you. Forgive us. 
remove those sins. I thank you, Lord, right now, when we, when we believe that, when we pray for forgiveness, there's no more condemnation. You've, you've freed us. You've forgiven us. Thank you. Now empowered by your spirit, infused by the work of your spirit in us, help us, Lord, to be transformed. Help us to be rooted into your word, into who you are, so that we can grow stronger in our faith. Lord, thank you. We love you and we want to sing to you now. In thy name we pray. Amen.